Uh, please, if you can, in your pew Bibles, um, open your copies of God's Word in First Samuel chapter 10. And we are going to consider this morning uh, chapter, uh, chapter 10, verses 17 to 27. Again, that is in your uh, pew Bibles in page 233. 233, 1 Samuel chapter 10, uh, verses 17 to, to uh, 27. Now, you're going to get tired of me telling you this, but remember that this is one single story. Um, and uh, um, we have been seeing how uh, Saul has this kind of weird characteristics in, in himself. He doesn't seem to be uh, the hero that we are looking for, uh, certainly not in the book of Samuel. Uh, so as we read once again uh, the, the story about Saul, uh, remember what is in the background, his moral failures, his character failures, and so on, because we are going to find out even more uh, of those this morning. So with that in mind, then uh, please stand to hear the reading of God's holy and inspired word. This is indeed God's word. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought you up, Israel, out of Egypt, and I deliver you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses, and you have said to him, Set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and your thousands. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought, that, uh, excuse me, he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Matritites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king! Then Samuel told the people the rights and the duties of the kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor, whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, How can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present, but he held his peace. Thus far, the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Um, now, have you realized, congregation of the Lord, uh, that the uh, figures, the people that we tend to admire in, in our modern culture, uh, feel pretty much like the demigods of Greek mythology? Men and women whose bodies are more important than anything else. More important, certainly, than how they think or how they behave. Uh, yes, we have created a culture that turns around externalities. Uh, how we look, 
the, the, the kind of car that we drive or the truck that we drive and, and so on. And, and there is a reason for that, I believe, uh, because in those external things, we have projected uh, the desires of our hearts. We have made ourselves heroes, in other words, according to our own image. And because we do that, many times we fail to see the problems, uh, the failures in character of these uh, people that we follow as heroes. We think a lot about the externals, but we don't think at all about character and how they behave. And believe it or not, that is what is happening here in the story of Israel as well. The chanting that we hear in the text uh, gives us the theme for this morning, that is, long live the king, boys and girls, if, if you want to follow that in your notes. Uh, but is, is Saul a good option? Does Saul have any visible uh, failures? Well, we are going to explore some of those failures this morning, and we are going to see this theme in three parts. First, the rejection. Second, the replacement. And third, the dissenters. So first, the rejection. Second, the replacement. And third, the dissenters. So let's see the first part, um, the rejection. Now, the first thing that we encounter here as we enter in the text is that Samuel has called this impressive, massive congregational meeting at Mizpah. All Israel is, is invited to this meeting. Uh, this is something big. It is in many respects a momentous, unique occasion in the history of Israel. And only the best goat milk will be served in this meeting. But, but what is striking is that the important occasion is almost ruined by what Samuel has to say and how he starts his speech. Look at verses 18 and 19. This is what the Lord says, the God of Israel. I brought you up, Israel, out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the, kings of the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who, sa who saves you from all your calamities and all your distresses. And you have said to him, uh, said a king over us. Now, can you imagine being invited to a birthday party and the main speaker starts to talk trash about the guests and about the celebrated person. Can you imagine that? I mean, everyone knows that even if all of those things that the speaker uh, is saying are true, good manners, keeping appearances, smiling even though you hate to be there, has to be the norm. Isn't that right? But see, that is not what Samuel is doing here. He's once again using this massive and unique opportunity, this important gathering of Israel, in order to remind Israel uh, about the elephant in the room. And that is that Israel is betraying their God. And I am sure you know and you get the feeling that Israel may be getting right now, don't we? How inappropriate that the pastor is talking again about our sins. How inopportune that the elders keep insisting that people need to repent of their sins. Can't we just pretend that everything is okay and high-five each other for a moment? Can't we all just be friends? Can't the pastor simply ignore those awkward portions in the scriptures? Can't he just let us be? Maybe some of those uh, here in Samuel are are just rolling their eyes right now. Here he goes again. 
But see, with rolling of the eyes and everything, the reality is that Samuel is taking this unique opportunity to show God's mercies over Israel once again. Because one more time, the Lord is using Samuel in order to bring Israel to repentance. Here's something that we need to understand, congregation. The Lord is a faithful father who pursues his children always. And because in his love, he wants his children to be close to him, he speaks words of repentance to them. He wants to have communion with them. Without repentance, without forgiveness in Jesus Christ, there is no communion with God. And our lives simply go from disaster to disaster. That is the reason why the Lord has sent Samuel here. That is the reason why uh, the Lord sends pastors who are naggers and elders who take their, their job very seriously. Because the task of the pastor is always to present you Jesus Christ. To confront you with your sins and then, and then to send you uh, comforted with the word of the gospel. With forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Uh, the worst cruelty that could exist in this world is a church that is devoid of the truth of the gospel. A church that sees evil and does nothing about it. A church that knows not about the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And in tandem with that, a church that does not know how to do that with words of grace and truth. So, here, here is something for you. If the Lord has been nagging you through the preaching of the word, through your pastors and your elders, then do not fail to hear the calling. Do not fail to repent of your sins and come to Jesus and receive forgiveness. Because that is the most important thing. Because that is exactly what Samuel is looking to do right here in the text. He reminds Israel that only in the Lord can Israel be free and find salvation. That, that the only uh, powerful person in the room, so to speak, is the Lord their God, who has been powerful enough to provide them salvation from the nations, from their enemies. Just as he is reminding us right now that only in Jesus Christ we can find hope and salvation. That only in him we find everything that we need in our lives. That nothing of what we seek to provide for ourselves will satisfy our souls. Whatever those things are, only Jesus saves. Only Jesus can comfort our hearts. Now, uh, normally after hearing these words of condemnation from the Lord's part, we will normally expect to hear more condemnation or here is the punishment coming. Because what can be worse? What can be worse than betraying the Lord, despising the Lord, his guidance over his people, and choosing a human person instead. There's nothing worse than that. Yet, in God's mercies, that is not, that, uh, the punishment is not what Israel gets. Rather, they get controlled exposure to their decisions, to their actions. Listen to this. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. This is nothing, nothing else than controlled exposure. God simply caring for Israel still. God using this situation for a better and a good purpose that is still to come. And that is the nature of the God of Scriptures congregation. He uses even our sin, our sinful decisions to guide us, to teach us through this controlled exposure. 
How many times has the Lord allowed you to experience uh, your sinful heart's desires? You're running away from him only to later on bring you back into his presence, transformed and even more committed to him. Because many are the idols of our culture congregation. And many are the idols that we need to, and that, excuse me, that we tend to place in the place of the Lord or God. We pursue our own agendas. We follow our own desires. We reflect the world and its sinful acts in our lives. Yet in all of it, the Lord many, 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 many times is simply giving us controlled exposure. And when we hit rock bottom, He's right there to pick us up, to welcome us again, to heal us once again. Now, that thought moves us to the second part of the sermon, the replacement. And as I have already mentioned, Israel is replacing the Lord with Saul, or so they think. And I say it so they think, because even here, the Lord is still in control. He's still controlling the candidate. He has chosen who is uh, going to be the king. But also, the manner in which this candidate is going to be displaced is controlled by the Lord. Notice verses 20 and 21. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Here we are to notice two things. First, the hardness of heart of Israel on the one hand, and the second one, the love and the mercy of the Lord or God congregation. Hardness of heart on Israel's part, because choosing by lot becomes necessary in order for the people to realize that Saul was truly, really chosen as the new king. Samuel's word, in other words, is not enough. They need something more. Now, Lot, boys and girls, is an exercise similar to the throwing of the dice or taking the shorter straw from a randomly arranged in a pile of straws from the hand of someone else. It was one of the ways in which God chose to communicate with his people in the Old Testament. Now, once the Holy Spirit came in the days of the early church in the book of Acts, Lot, casting lots, was no longer necessary because we have something better. We have the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So no, boys and girls, do not play to casting lots. That is no longer necessary. Should I say brothers and sisters too? If we want to discover God's will regarding something that we have in our heads and in our minds, then we have scriptures and we have the guidance of the Holy Spirit who will enable us to understand things better. And over that, we have the wisdom of the church. And over that, you have brothers and sisters next to you who have been around for longer that can give you guidance. And over that, the Lord has provided you with pastors and elders who can guide you as well. We don't need lots anymore. In any case, what we hear is Saul has been chosen by Lot. But surprise or surprises, where is Saul? He is not to be found. Now, now, here's the interesting twist in the story. And that's what I was mentioning to you, that we need to pay attention to the larger story and the context. This is the 12th time in the story that we hear the phrase, not found. And as you know, that is not a coincidence. Repetition in the scriptures is important. So could it be that Saul is lost for Israel, just as the donkeys were lost for Saul? 
Could it be that Israel needs the guidance of the Lord even to find their new shiny king? Could it be that the Lord is trying to teach them a lesson in humility to Israel? There is nothing they can do in themselves, not even finding this new shiny king that they have selected. And I wonder, have you discovered that truth yourself, congregation? Without the Lord's help, we are utterly lost, are we not? Walking in this world, trying to find his light, trying to discover him, but failing miserably every single time. Our hearts make idols of anything and everything. We long to find meaning in life without finding the meaning to it. We make up our own religions and we know that God is out there. We can sense him. He impresses himself upon us every single time. He's revealing himself to us all the time. He's never silent. Yet, despite being so close to us, we cannot find him. You know why? because it takes the illumination of the Holy Spirit, Him opening our eyes in order to see His light. It takes His Spirit for us to be awakened to the reality of the gospel, to finally understand. And later on, it takes the Holy Spirit training us in His truth in order for us to see the truth. Yes, boys and girls, no amount of knowledge, no amount of money can provide what the, the, Lord, the, the Lord can provide without Him. We are utterly lost in this world. What follows now is the beginning of a very, is the beginning, excuse me, of a very, very comic scene in the narrative. Look at verse 22. So they inquired again of the Lord, "Is there a man still to come?" And the Lord said, "Behold, he was he has hidden himself among the baggage." Isn't that fun? Where is the savior of of Israel, the new king? Where is he? Oh, he's hiding himself. Isn't that kind of weird behavior from Saul's part? Uh, heroes don't hide, do they? And especially in those times, the hero, the king, is the, ones who, uh, is the one who is always have to be at the front, always leading the people into battle. What is Saul doing among the baggage? And it gets even better. Verse 23 and 24. Then they ran and took him from there, big guy as he is. He was taller than any of the people. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. You see, this is meant to be funny. The guy who was chosen as king is also the one we just found hiding, afraid of everything. He's all muscles, as we have seen, but he's very afraid. He looks very impressive from the outside, yet he's very, very scary, scared on the inside. All scary on the outside, but filled with fear in his heart, like a fluffy little bunny running to his hole. And what is most interesting of all is that no one, no one, not even Samuel, has second thoughts about Saul. In fact, all of that Saul receives is praises from Israel. And a popular cry, long live the king. Is this really the king that we want? Yet with this behavior, we have found even more things to be concerned about Saul, have we not? 
And see, uh, here is the thing that the text calls our attention to. Samuel is right. Saul is very, very impressive. Saul is like no one else in Israel. Tall, muscled, and all. But he lacks character. He lacks character. It is very common, boys and girls, for human beings to make this mistake that Israel is making right now. We look at the externalities and we come to the conclusion that externalities are everything. We seldom consider character anymore. But learn the lesson, congregation. Learn the lesson, boys and girls. A good character is better than muscles and good looks. Beauty in a woman is nothing if she is not beautiful in character as well. And richness and apparent means to provide for you girls means nothing if a man has not a godly character. Character matters. It matters in the world and it matters even more in the church. The crowd chants, long live the king, but they haven't stopped to consider what kind of king they are getting. In fact, uh, this would have been a very good moment to consider the words of Samuel once again, to repent before the Lord and to pray for wisdom for the new king. But we don't find that in the text. And I guess uh, that many times we don't find that attitude in our hearts either. No, we are too busy chanting the praises to the things that we think are going to save us, pursuing the things that we will believe are going to make us happy. Too busy running and chanting with the crowd to realize that maybe, maybe we ought to consider our commitments in our life. But Israel seems to be um, running with it. Saul has been consecrated and has been acclaimed by the people. The plan of the Lord continues its course, though, and he will bring something good out of this. So let us consider the third point, the dissenters. Look at verse 25. Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship. It's amazing to me uh, that in each section of this narrative, we are seeing the hidden or maybe not so hidden hand of God uh, acting and moving in order to protect his people, Israel. Uh, this is what I have been trying to tell you. Israel may be happy with their new king, but the Lord has not given a free reign to the king of Israel. The book of Samuel uh, tells us that Samuel is inscribing this book, uh, this, this uh, little booklet here, that is nothing else but limitations for the kingship, uh, regulations for the new king. Saul is king, but he is not above the Lord. Saul is king, but even his kingship has limits established by the Lord himself. And that, that is really good news. We are to be grateful for that congregation. The Lord is the one who sets limits to human authority. Only God is the sovereign of the universe. Only God rules with full authority and power. And only God is above everyone and everything else. And a Christian bows his head in total dependence only before God, no one else. Total surrender only exists before Jesus Christ. No one else is worthy of that dignity, worthy of that honor, boys and girls. That is why Samuel sets divinely established limits to this kingship. Now, there are two things that are anticlimactic. See, I had to think about that word, anticlimactic. Uh, here in the text, the first one is found in verse 26. 
Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor whose, heart got, whose hearts God had touched. So here's the thing. Israel is dispatched. Everyone goes to its own town. But what is interesting is that there is no speech from Saul and there is no call to arms. Did you notice that? If you remember, we were told several times in the narrative that the reason why Saul is chosen is so he can bring freedom to Israel from his enemies. If that is the case, then what is Saul doing here? Why is he not jumping into action? Why is he not calling Israel to war? Why this lack of leadership? We are not told, but we already know, do we not? The context has set the stage already. Saul is still inept. He still lacks resources. Now, the other thing that is unsettling is verse 27. But some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And, this, and they despised him and brought him no present, but he held his peace. Now, this represents opposition and division in the newly found kingdom. It just started, but someone is already opposing him. Excuse me. Now, maybe, maybe someone is more than ready to say, see, finally, some common sense here in the text. But notice, boys and girls, brothers and sisters, how the sacred author is depicting or is speaking about these fellows. These are good-for-nothing fellows, uh, lazy guys, people that you are not to trust in. The Hebrew, in fact, says uh, they are sons of Belzebub, sons of the devil. And therefore, the Bible itself is showing us that we are not to trust in what these guys are saying. Maybe, maybe they are speaking out of envy, maybe out of malice. Whatever the case, the reality is that once the king has been anointed and announced, they have one single task left to themselves, and that is to submit to the authority that God has placed over them. And that is a good lesson for us, isn't it? How many people just jump against authority and they love to do it? How many, even Christians today, have made all sorts of excuses in order to rebel against those that the Lord has put over the church? But the truth is, congregation, that few of them have very good reasons to oppose those who are in authority. In fact, the French Calvinists were persecuted to death for years before they finally decided to resist. As far as I know, we are not there yet. Today, many want to resist for the most menial of things, things that don't even impact their, their gospel witness. And I want you to never do that, congregation. May, not may that never be the case with you. Honor God. Honor those whom God has placed in authority. Submit to them, and the Lord will honor you for honoring his established creational order. In any case, uh, the idea in the text is very, very clear. The office of king brings division. The newly founded kingdom already has some dissenters that they feel they know better than God himself. Now, as we close in the narrative, uh, let me show you how this whole ordeal, this whole mess points us to Christ. Because the reality is, congregation, that just like Israel, 
guess what? We too have the same temptation. We too want to look into externalities. We, from time to time, try to put our hopes in things that we can see. We turn to politics and we think that the right candidate will save us. We turn to diets, diets excuse me, and we think that the right kind of food will avoid us getting sick. We turn to all kinds of gurus, thinking that the solution that they will offer will save our lives. We turn to society that just like Israel chooses everything according to their externals, what is attractive. And, and we think that if we follow them, if we do everything that they say, then we will be happy. But if we, if we do that, then we will be making the same mistake that Israel made, following after idol, following after, after people's that, the, uh, idols and people that cannot save, excuse me. You see, Saul is not enough. He has many, many, many moral and character failures. He's a flunk. And many of the idols, many of the things that we love to pursue, they are flunks as well. None of them can save you. And this is when Jesus comes into the picture. Jesus' congregation is this perfect savior, the perfect leader that fulfills Israel's desires. Jesus is the only one who can fulfill your desires for that matter. He's the one who was unlike anyone among Israel. He had been chosen by God in order to be our king, our deliverer. So Jesus' congregation, he's the one we need. He's the one we are to forsake everything for. Everything? Yes, everything for him. And he is the one who will never fail us. So this morning, congregation, this has to be your point of focus, your target. You are to look to Jesus Christ. And when you see him, you are to consider his beauty, his loveliness, what he has done for you. And when you consider that, then may we can cry with Israel, long live King Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for King Jesus. Uh, we thank you that he um, was a king who led by the example. That when he saw us in trouble under the curse of sin and the devil, um, in slavery to him, and under terrible, terrible circumstances, he came down from heaven, divested himself of glory, took upon himself human flesh, and lived the perfect life for us, and died in our place. We thank you for our King. We thank you for his salvation. Help us now to follow him and to raise the banner of Christ throughout the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.